Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to our show. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about things that will make a difference for you wherever you're at. If you're working with a tribal enterprise, if you're looking to start your own business, if you're just looking to give back to those who you appreciate in the course of your life. My guest is a man with an amazing story and a lot of practical information. His name is Bill Higgs. Bill, it is so great to have you with us on today's show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Now, Bill, a lot of people know your name. You've, uh, wow, you've rubbed shoulders with a lot of folks over the course of your life. You and I have been talking about the virtual who's who of people that you either went to school with or worked with. But for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I grew up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and I was able to get a congressional appointment to West Point. Didn't really know anybody, so I just applied to a congressman, and it turned out West Point asked 10 key questions for you to fill out. Three of those questions had to do with Boy Scouts. Huh. One was, were you a Boy Scout? Because if you were, that meant you were introduced to moral, morals and ethical actions. The second was, were you an Eagle Scout? Because if you're an Eagle Scout, that means you did something that took four or five years to do. And the third question out of 10 questions from West Point was, were you a senior patrol leader? Which would mean that all of the boys and the adults in the troop felt that you should be the leader. But I had all three of those and was able to make the grade, went to West Point class of 1974 and uh, ended up being with some pretty cool classmates. <laughs> we ended up with about 33 generals uh, at the time there were only 12 four-star generals a few years back. We had four out of the 12 four-stars were out of our class. Wow. One was General Petraeus, who played on a soccer team with me. <laughs> and uh, we were also in Ranger School together. He's a total overachiever, dude. So his number one at Ranger School. I was probably number two or three. Uh, General Dempsey was in my company, Company F2. He became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he was the last active duty Army officer in our class to retire. So he lasted longer than anybody else. Another four-star who both uh, Petraeus and Dempsey think might have even more impact than anyone else is Keith Alexander, who was the first general in charge of Cyber Command. So Cyber Command uh -huh. was a new area. Really, cyber warfare was sort of a new thing. About 10 or 11 years ago, so they started Cyber Command. He was the first one in charge of it. Now he's out into IT where he helps people put in the defenses into their IT systems. Wow, wow. So this is really an illustrious group, but you, uh, well, really, you carved your own illustrious path. Some of the folks that uh, know of your work, they may immediately think, hey, Bill Higgs, uh, Mustang Engineering Tell us a little bit about that story for those who may not be familiar with your background in the business world. Well, thanks, David. Yeah, about uh, about 80 of my classmates are CEOs, some of them of major companies like Foot Locker, Academy Sports, 
some of the big uh, pharmaceutical companies, but they think that I took a path less traveled because with two other guys, we just started a company from scratch in a major downturn in Houston. We started a company to design offshore oil platforms. Hmm. And so three guys started uh, 20 years later. It was a billion dollar company. We had offices all around the world. And uh, the whole company was built. We didn't know it till about the third year, but we changed the culture in the industry. Hmm. And by about the 10th year, my two partners and I, we were known as the kings of culture worldwide in the oil industry because of the way we took care of our people. And we called it making heroes. How do you make heroes of everybody you're in contact with each day? Wow. Wow. I just love this because I'll tell you, I think one of the things that people are so concerned about today is the, the devaluing of, uh, of the common worker. And a lot of folks are very concerned that people have almost in many organizations become like pawns, only means to an end. And you're talking about, well, culture code champions. I know uh, I've seen that phrase somewhere before in association with your name. Why am I connecting those dots? Well, you bring up a good point. So we started in a major downturn. In Houston, Texas, and Oklahoma, it made this current economic downturn look about the same. There were foreclosures on every street. 1,200 banks went out of business. But like you say, people were treated as a number. When you finished a project, you were gone. And if you were a drafter designer, you were gone first, and the engineers were gone second. And what we wanted to do was, in the Army, the NCOs, the sergeants, are the backbone of the Army, and they really take care of the officers. And so it seemed wrong to us that the drafters weren't treated as valuable pieces of an engineering firm. So culture code champions, we started to have a culture of taking care of each other. And when you're in a big downturn, like this current one, everybody's Mm. in, the first thing that goes is all the silos, the silos bust and everybody's in the soup together. So they're holding hands from the CEO to the secretaries and the personal assistants. This is an interesting observation because uh, in spite of, layoffs in spite of challenges other people are seeing opportunities in the current environment they're seeing reasons to press closer uh, coming together as a team and in indian country of course native enterprises they've not been spared from these challenges reservations have not been spared native americans living in urban settings and of course bill you know many of my listeners are not native but the point is it doesn't matter who's tuning in It's challenging times, and you're giving a message that I believe is talking about valuing people and looking at what some of our greatest assets are. Why is that all so critical when we're in a a downturn, when we're having challenges? Well, what we found, so we were buying furniture to start our office, our engineering office, Mm -hmm. and we bought it from three engineering firms that were closing down that were designing offshore oil platforms. Whoa. (laughs) So we asked them, you know, why are you closing down? We're trying to start up. And of course we couldn't get a bank loan. So we started, each of us putting in $5,000 and then you figure out how to get it done in whatever environment you're in. But one of the things you'll find even right now is really good people are either at the house because they got laid off 
more they're sort of upset with the leadership team because of the way they treated them in this current downturn. And what we found is you can actually high grade and find some of your best people in a downturn. Mm. And the oil patch was always was going up and down. Every downturn, we were hiring really good people to where we could come out stronger. This is such a great vision. And I know folks that are tuning into the show, I don't care where you're at in life, if you're representing a tribe and tribal interests, if you're an individual uh, who's running a business or maybe uh, trying to start a business up from scratch, you're looking at the outlook. It doesn't seem too rosy. Bill, I love the story because, you know, if I'm starting a new business in a certain sector and everybody around me is closing theirs, I'm starting to look over my shoulder saying, hey, maybe I should be seeing a mental health professional instead of starting a business. Did, did you guys go through some of those self-doubts? Uh, definitely. We thought we could do it. But until you jump out and start, you have no idea how hard it is. And uh, I had one partner who lost 25 pounds. The other guy was a smoker. He was trying to stop smoking. So he was chewing Nicorette gum like it was going out of style. I was the sales guy. So I was out pounding the streets looking for work. And I, I was sweating through my shoes. And after about six months, I said, I hope it gets better by the end of a year. And it really took about three years of really gutting it out. But it, it was so worth it in the fourth year at a Christmas party. And uh, I had a spouse come up to me and she grabbed me because I'm always talking to everybody. She said, Bill, listen to me. My husband has changed since coming to Mustang. Hmm. He gets up in the morning. He's gung-ho, ready to go to work. When he comes wow. home, he's still got energy. He's engaging with the kids. He's even talking about going to church on Sunday. And it just sent chills up and down my spine. Because you start a company and you're going to do something. But if you think about it, the company's really the people. And what mm. you're trying to do is change those people's lives and spiral it up and find every way that you can spiral their life up. And it'll come back in and your company to the outside world will look very positive all the time. This is just such a great message. And I know you've got my listeners' interest because you've got mine. We want to know practically, what can we do? What can we do if we are at the helm of an organization or if we're not? So let's start, first of all, with those who are able to call the shots, whether they're on a tri the tribal council and can be somewhat directive, maybe with a tribal industry. Maybe it's someone who really, they've started their own business. But let's talk to those who are in leadership positions. What message do you have for them, first of all? Well, leadership is critical. When you go in a downturn, the silos have busted. Everybody's holding hands, but they're still looking at the leader and they're saying, you know, what are we going to do? And it's incumbent upon the leader to have a positive attitude. Everybody knows it's tough. <laughs> you don't have mm -hmm. to beat that one anymore. Okay. So what you want to do is be positive and talk about things and steps you can take to get ready for coming out of the downturn. And now people will have things that they're doing that they know are going to positively help them when you come out. And that's how you start to spiral the attitudes back. And even if you only get them to neutral, you're winning compared to other companies where they're spiraling down. Okay. If you want to give a couple of things the leader can do. Yeah, we're definitely interested in that. I know we're, uh, 
We're getting close to our first break, but uh, I think we can squeeze at least one of those in. Go ahead and give us uh, the first one on your list. Uh, One of the things is you want to take notes because you've just started squeezing everything that was superfluous in the company. You've plugged all the holes in the bucket cost-wise. Take notes on all of those things that you do. We did that in each downturn. And when we came out of the downturn and we were in the next up, up cycle, we would look at that list of things and see if we were starting to put that fat back in the company. Mm. If you can stay lean in the good times, it's a total game changer. The next downturn, you won't go down as far as other people. And we called it no fate leadership, like the Terminator movie, no fate where she was carving in that tabletop. There's no fate that you have to go down just because your industry is. And one of the ways to do that is to take notes, figure out what you did and don't get back fat and happy when things turn around. Okay. That is a great point. What about uh, the second one? Let's see if we can squeeze that one in as well. Well, for your people, one of the things that you want to do is you're working on your repeatable process. We built a billion dollar company by squeezing the handoffs between everybody in the organization. 30% of cost and schedules lost in handoffs in your company. Just look at the handoffs that happen between a department and HR. If the department gives garbage to HR, it goes back and forth two or three times. Mm. If you can communicate across that handoff so HR is ready for it, the department knows exactly how to give it to them, in what format, to where it's, I call it digital and digestible into that other organization. We did that same thing between engineering and construction contractors. Engineering has a certain type of design tool we use. Contractors have a different one. They would take our drawings, which had been checked, and redraw them into their software because Mm. their software gave them barcodes for tracking materials and equipment. I said, this is stupid. The client's (laughs) paying for all of this. I got their software and we designed. It wasn't as efficient for us, but we designed in their software and we could cut three months out of the schedule. So there's big things to win on handoffs. This is tremendous. Bill, you've got so many insights that I know uh, my listeners are anxious to hear and learn from you. We want to tap into this, and I know you got a great book out that can help people uh, really take some of these lessons and run with them. We're going to talk about that in our next segment as well. I'm Dr. DeRose. We've got a lot more coming up. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Bill Higgs is my guest. He's a... Uh a successful business person. He's also an author, motivational speaker, and he's sharing with us insights that can really transform the culture of your tribe, your community, your business, even your family. Bill, as we were talking, you know, one of the things that was uh, running through my mind, and we were speaking off air there just a minute ago about this whole area of diversification. I remember uh, some years ago, and maybe a little background about the show is in order, not just for you, but for even our regular listeners, a lot of the uh, enthusiasm for this broadcast came from tribes that are east of the Mississippi, the so-called Uset tribes, and some of the uh, tribes we call the Iroquois nations. Uh, the visionary behind this show was uh, an Onondaga tribal member. And we were doing a lot of work in the Northeast, a lot of our partners initially as the show launched. And some of those individuals were part of the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation. And I remember doing some programs there. And I was just so inspired because this was a a group that was very impoverished historically. I remember them showing me pictures of some of the, the really poor standard of living, a very small reservation setting that they had, and how they just transformed everything through uh, through gaming. But they didn't just keep all their eggs in that basket. They started diversifying. And this has been the story with many tribes. You, in your industry, I know, embrace this vision for diversification. We've talked about it a little bit off air, but tell us why this is so important for any business. Well, the problem, if you don't diversify, your industry will go up and down. And if you don't diversify, you're sort of locked into going up and down with that industry. And then in our case, like you had projects or jobs within that industry. So those would all go 
up and down on their own. And when those nodes cross each other, it could be really bad or you could be totally overloaded. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we started, uh, there wasn't very much offshore engineering work to do. So we were doing onshore compressor stations. We were looking for anything that we could do. And a friend of mine who had been laid off in the oil industry was working at Houston's Metro Bus Company. Mm. And he called me up and said, Bill, I think you guys could do this bus maintenance facility work. And you always talked about diversifying. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. And I mean, we were working 24-7 in those first four months. But he needed the help. He needed us to bid, if for no other reason, that then he could hold the normal bidder's feet to the fire. So okay. I decided to support him. We had to fill out all this weird paperwork. And due to his support, it came down to four bidders, and we were one of the four. And so I went and looked to see how to do a presentation. And they said, in the book that I got, it said, try to be first or last. If you're the first person to present, just try to set the standard that nobody else can touch. Okay. Or if you're, or if you're last... They will have seen the other people and they'll ask you questions that are comparing you to what they heard from the other players. Uh -huh. So I asked my friend, I said, Hey, we'd be last because <laughs> <laughs> everybody else was like somebody who had worked for Metro, the bus company. We did offshore oil platform and didn't uh -huh. have anything to do with the bus. Uh -huh. And one of the things to do, I don't know if people out there have a company candy bar, but I think a company candy it's just another one of those things that helps build camaraderie and team building. Have a lot of things that you call your own. Then whenever your people see it, they'll think about your company. Well, we were last. We were going to be right before lunch. And they would have been listening to engineers, engineers talk for three hours. I knew they were bored to tears. Uh -huh. And so I went in with a bunch of Snickers bars. I put a Snickers bar in front of each one of them. And I'm singing, Mustang will satisfy you, which was the old <laughs> jingle. Okay. And I'm trying to tell them, we're different than these other firms that you've talked to. And I'm putting this big Snickers in front of us. I want you listening to us and not thinking about lunch. And the last person on the board was a lady that was five or six months pregnant. I gave her a Snickers bar. And then I pulled out, and here's a little one for your baby. Okay. And it cracked the board up. And you know these people never laugh. Uh -huh. But it cracked them up. And what I found is if you can change the energy in a room, then you can redirect that energy. So once I got them laughing and carrying on a little bit, then I was able to lay out and say, hey, we really don't want to work for Metro because your government, you got red tape. We don't like to do that stuff. You, you got us going here. You really got us going. So you're trying to make a presentation, trying to get a contract, and you start out by saying, we don't really want to work for you. This is not a conventional sales pitch, Bill. No, but I wanted to get their attention. So the food got their attention. And now I'm saying, we really don't want to work with you. So I'm hitting them with cold water in the face. Uh -huh. I said, however, if you will work with us and reduce that red tape, we can give you much better work than you ever had before. And we knew problems ahead. And so I just hit three of those problems. And it became a conversation back and forth. And they were talking amongst themselves and with my team, how they could reduce the red tape requirements and what we could do if they did that. We won that job when we were four months old. There was no work in the oil industry for the next three months. And we put our whole company working for Metro across the winter. And we may not have survived that if we hadn't won that project. But that's some of the myths and lore that come. But that's how we created a candy bar. And we had Snickers at 
every function for the next 30 years. And everybody knew it was all about thinking of the other person and how do you make them a hero and how do you be other oriented? And it became part of the ethos within the company, which also leads right into part of the culture. No, this is really interesting. And and some of the folks who've met me in person at some of the tribal venues where we actually record shows on site. So a lot of times we're at the National Congress of American Indians. And one of the groups that uh, we have worked with over the years is a group called International BioCare. So they do a lot with innovative treatments and uh, a lot of Native folks have headed down to their program in uh, Tijuana, Mexico. The reason I mention them, Bill, and, and what's resonating is they give out at NCAI, they give out little granola bars that have, you know, quinoa and different things. So if it's a health company and they don't like the Snickers bars, they've got options too, don't they? Well, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to win the hearts and the minds of your people mm. in any way that you can. So we were talking on the last little bit about what leaders can do. I believe in one of my seven steps is hard copy communication. Hmm. So you do a monthly newsletter and people email it out. And you might even email it to the house. Good for you if you do that. You're better than 60% of the people out there. But most people will read the first paragraph and blip it. Huh? Send it hard copy to the house. Unbelievable things happen. The spouse will read it. You've got pictures of kids and events in there. They'll show it to the kids. What you're doing now is you're winning the hearts and the minds of your employee's family. Wow. It's huge. When you need that employee to work over the weekend or work late at night and their attitude's good and their family's been engaged and they're seeing that this company is better than any company that they've been involved with before. And we, we also took over the toy box. So we had skating parties and birthday parties and there were toys with Mustang logos and making heroes on it in the toy box. And I had more than one employee who said they had a good offer and their kids said, you're not leaving that company. <laughs> <laughs> so think of these little things, but that hard copy communication, same thing. If you ever get back to the office and a lot of people are probably going to stay remote, but some offices will come back uh-huh. at the coffee bar. They always have the regulations up for safety and things like that. Right. I took all that stuff and I put it in a dark, dark corner of the hallway. And at the coffee bar, I had just fun, positive things, pictures of past events, notifications mm. of what's coming up. At the coffee bar, when there's a downturn going on, that's where all the negativity starts. People say, hey, have you heard where this job is? Hey, have you heard what they're paying over there? But people would rather Talk about something positive. So if you give it to them at the coffee bar, you'll start spiraling their attitude up and it'll carry with them down the hall as they go back to their office or wherever they're working. But think about it's a lot of little things. And that's why I say culture code champions. You need a champion who's working hard copy communication and they'll have a couple people working with them for hard copy. I normally use people out of my marketing team because they're used to doing things going out. I said, hey, your job also is inside this company. Make sure we don't lose anybody. Excellent. Yeah, turnover is huge cost to companies. In Houston, it was 35 to 45% turnover a year. Most wow. companies, it's 35%. Our turnover was less than 2%. Wow. Huge dollars to the bottom line. We had quadrupled the bottom line of our competitors. 
This is just amazing stuff. Before we step away, we want to hear about how people can connect with you better. Tell us, someone wants your book, they want to get a hold of Bill Higgs, where do they go? Uh, the best way is to go to culturecodechampions.com. So you can order the book there. I've got a podcast where I've talked to General Petraeus and some other pretty neat people that I know. Also have a, a, a survey that you can take and you can actually calculate how you can move your bottom line. And that's to help HR people justify investing in culture because an intentional culture pays huge dividends, not just in positivity to lives, but also to the bottom line in the company. Wow, wow. This is tremendous stuff. We're going to talk more with Bill Higgs, and we'll give you more insights from his book, Culture Code Champions. You don't want to miss it. Things that can make a difference for you. We've been talking especially to folks that are calling the shots. We want to talk about uh, things that you can do if you're in an organization, wherever you're at, that can make a difference. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More right after these important messages. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
You are back with the second half of today's segment. We're talking with Bill Higgs. Bill is walking us through something that he calls Culture Code Champions. It is also the title of his book. It is also his website, culturecodechampions.com. Bill, I couldn't help but be engaged by a story you were telling me about Sandy Coleman. Some people know that name. Others don't. First of all, tell us uh, who she was and why her story speaks to people who are not running companies right now. That's a good one, David. Uh, At Mustang, we had what we called a Young Guns program. So all of our recent high school or college graduates by year group were in a Young Guns program where they got to know each other and cross-fertilize. And across 15 years, after 15 years, those young guns were leading all of the departments. After 20 years, one of those young guns was the CEO of Mustang when it was doing $4 billion a year. So young people are key. Sandra Coleman, good friend of mine, she married a classmate of mine, General uh, Guy Bourne. But when she was a Girl Scout, her dad took her to Redstone Arsenal, and she met Werner von Braun, the German scientist that was working the rocket technology for the United States. And she came home and she said, I'm going to go work for that guy. When she graduated high school, she became the secretary outside his office. No way. That's amazing. One of the cool things right now in her house, she has his desk. Whoa. So her story, she goes from being a secretary, she starts working up the ladder. And that's why your young people literally are your future. But NASA was totally male dominated when she was there. But she got mentors. And it's a key thing. Make sure your young people get linked into mentors. We did that in our Young Guns program. Her mentors helped her figure out what to do. And she got paid to go to college and get an engineering degree. Wow. She got paid to go to college to get a master's degree. She worked all the way up to where she gave the go for launch on the shuttle. Hmm. But she and she was busting glass ceilings all the way up and she got hmm. as high as she could go and her mentor said, "You can't bust this next ceiling." And she said, "Well, what should I do?" And he said, "I recommend you go outside and work for a contractor." because they'll let you continue to go up. She went out to that contractor. Three years later, she came back in charge of all the people that had been on top of her at NASA. <laughs> she, she won the Lifetime Achievement Award for Women in Aerospace. Wow. Fantastic lady. But if you look her up and see how her career went from saying, hey, I'm going to work for this guy as a secretary and I'm going to learn. And she says... and. And I think it's indicative. We had a lot of women engineers, and actually our last CEO at Mustang uh, was a woman that I mentored when she came in 2000. But all of the women in engineering, and she said at NASA, she said, they always come in doubly prepared because it's just harder. And it's almost like people are trying to do gotchas on them. Hmm. So they came really prepared. And I think in the technical industries if you can perform you're going to start to float up and that's mm-hmm. what happened to her but just a wonderful story and uh, i i think it's it's a good one for women it's a good one for girls and kids hey if you see something you really like 
go for it. No, and this is so great for any segment of the population, whether you're talking about racially, whether you're talking about in Indian country, whether you're talking about gender-wise, any segment of the population that feels like they haven't been given you know, a fair share, a fair shake. What you're telling, Bill, is a story. Get your foot in the door. Uh, you may not be in charge. You may not be setting the culture initially. But if you start working in an industry where you see vision, where you see a future, put your energy there, develop your skills. I just love the story, and I think it's such a, a powerful motivational story. Do I understand correctly, too, that Sandra wrote a foreword or an endorsement or something for your book? Yes, she did. Uh, a number of people wrote a testimonial for the book because to her, culture was very important. Wow, wow. She ended up in the job after the one shuttle had blown up. She was in charge of figuring out how to do the coding right on the next one. So big engineering uh, had to figure out how to change it and do it. But she was working in a plant that covered square miles. Wow. She went around every lunch hour. She went to a different area that got to know all of the people. And so they, they had never seen somebody that high up at NASA come and talk to the workers on the floor. Mm. She was one week away from needing this thing delivered. And the contractor was saying, no, it's going to be three weeks late. And she went down on the floor to the person in charge. She said, they say it's going to be three weeks late. You were telling me it's going to be done. And he said, oh, for you, Sandy, it will be done. <laughs> wow. And she tells that story as part of her culture. The culture, I call it management by wandering around, mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. out, getting to know your people at whatever level you are. And even if you're a new person in the company, get out and meet people and volunteer to help them. Hey, how can I help you? What could I do for you? Because normally when you're new in a company, you're not overloaded with work yet. And so you can get to know people and that energy and your passion will come through. And that's what takes you up. And I think that's, to me, that's the American dream. It's there for everybody. If you put yourself into it, if the culture holds you back, time to move and, and go find a company, evaluate companies based on their culture to where they'll give you that fair shake. So let's talk now a little bit about the book. The book is called Culture Code Champions. Who would want to pick up a copy of the book? What are they going to get by reading through the book that you've written? Well, I wrote it. I'm a gung-ho Boy Scout. So it's, it's, okay. good. it's good whether you're running a Boy Scout organization or a church or a startup business, or if you're in a Fortune 500 company, you have a department. It's the steps that we used to create a differentiated culture. And we did it in seven different industries, and we did it in 12 international offices. And I'll give you an example. Our office in Mumbai, India, won the Christmas tree decorating contest, and they don't even believe in Christmas. <laughs> but it was a competition. <laughs> they were going to be gung-ho and get after it and do it. Our culture is amazing. It translated into all of the, the different cultures around the world that we were in. We have a video where people in each office talk in their own language what it means to be a Mustanger. And if you haven't mm. named yourselves, that's one of the steps. Name yourself. Oh, okay. Okay, so we were Mustang. Our people were Mustangers. And it's like we wanted to create the team everybody wanted to join. 
if you're the team everybody wants to join, you're going to be able to just pick the best. And that translates around the world. People want to be part of the best team where they're valued and respected. That works in any language. And so what this book does, there's seven steps. And I want you to assign a champion to each one Hmm. in your department, in your company, in your organization. And you can start with the first one and just start building some momentum with it over six or seven weeks. Get people realizing it's not a flavor of the month. This is how we're going to be. We're changing how we are. And the first one is just opening up the communication, getting people together outside of work as well as at work. My favorite one is a paper paper airplane flying contest. Wait a minute. A paper airplane flying contest? This stuff is cheap. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So you do this paper airplane flying contest, and I would get a couple of young guns, a couple of old hands, and across four or five different departments, they would set the rules, put it all out. People, we have pictures of people at the dining room table with their family folding paper airplanes, looking at uh, YouTube videos to make the cool paper airplane. And I remember one uh, personal assistant came in and she said, man, my kids can't wait till I come home tonight. I better win this thing. (laughs) But uh, so then over lunch, so it doesn't cost you anything. You'd have the contest. There'd be a lot of different funny prizes and things, but Uh get pictures, fun things to talk about. That's all you're trying to do is get people engaged. And now they're communicating, sort of like my story of changing the energy in the room. Now that they're communicating, get them to communicate how they take care of each other better. Hmm. And you're building that culture. So first step is open the communication. The second one is to build that sense of team. So I was a gung-ho airborne ranger. Uh, In the rangers, they called us the snake eaters. I don't know if you've heard that term. I haven't heard the term, but I'm connecting the dots uh, because I guess they had you do some wilderness survival stuff. Yeah, but they they call you snake eaters because we're known for killing and eating rattlesnakes. But also in real life, we kill a lot of snakes around the world. And uh, But everybody knows that the rangers have their creed. They'll leave no person behind. Hmm. So people want to get into the rangers. So the rangers get to pick. (laughs) one out of a hundred that they'll bring in and go through the training 20 out of a hundred, make it through the training. So you get the cream of the cream. What we wanted to do at Mustang. We wanted to do that same thing, whether it was in engineering, secretarial HR, we wanted the cream of the cream. And so you have to build that sense of team. So some of it was, you know, goodies, getting people together, having that team name. We had a mascot. We had a horse that people would wear around the office. But you know that that's a key one. Uh, the third step is to create a repeatable process. I talked about handoffs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you don't have a kickoff meeting before you start something, you're going to waste time. You need a repeatable process of how you do things and reuse things you've done in the past. I have a quick little story. No, I want to hear it. <laughs> so engineers are trying to design this pump for a tough application. Took them three extra months, so it's late. They oh, give wow. it to purchasing. Purchasing bids it out. Bids take forever to come back in. They bring it back to engineering, and they say, this pump is made out of unobtainium. That's like a new element on the periodic table. Okay. Unobtainium. It's not obtainable in the real world. This pump does not exist. 
And so what happened is then the engineers got with purchasing, got brought the vendors in, and they figured out how to design the pump that was needed. And mm-hmm. I love that term unobtainium because every company creates it. If you can name it, now your people can look for it. Where are you redoing things? So that pump had to get totally redesigned and totally rebid, wasted everybody's time. Wow. Every company has this unobtainium in it. So what's the message there? Is it to be looking for that at the beginning or how do you avoid uh, this uh, scenario? Well, you have to, I had phrases so that we keep it in the front of people's minds on a day-to-day basis. So I, everybody was looking for unobtainium and they'd say, oh, this handoff was really bad. Why? Well, th- you created unobtainium. You did this thing from scratch. You always do it this other way. And so by being able to name it, you're not, beating each other up personally you're sort of setting the problem on the table and say hey we we have an obtainium here how do we solve this going forward and i got it it's just a good way to not tear each other down but build a team nice well bill i know you got a lot more great stuff and i'm glad that we've still got one final segment left in the show we're going to tell you if you're tuning in today how you can really tap into more of Bill's wisdom, but we've also got more of it coming up in our final segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a lot more coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions, they just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers. It sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal, but taken together, and then the incident the other day... You were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects. The poor decision making. And the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the final segment of today's show. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Bill Higgs has been my guest from the beginning of the hour, and he's continuing to talk with us about insights that are found in his book, Culture Code Champions. It's a best-selling Forbes book, and uh, you can get it just about anywhere where books are sold. Bill, a lot of folks are saying, wow, how does a uh, successful business founder end up pulling away to write a book, doing all kinds of motivational speeches, running a podcast. And I think some folks, if they didn't know you before, have connected the dots and they realize you're no longer at Mustang. How did that transition take place? David, that, that was a tough one. That, this treadmill was running fast. When we started, the three of us wanted to have, one partner wanted a 35-person company. I sort of wanted like an 85 or 90-person company. When it started tipping the scales at 2,000, <laughs> we uh-huh. were feeling like, man, this treadmill's going fast. Uh-huh. We evaluated doing IPOs or roll-up IPOs, mm-hmm. a lot of different ways that you can transition. And we decided that the best thing that would work for us because we were moving into international would be to sell to a big international player that okay. knew how to open offices. Mm-hmm. So we hired Chase Bank, M&A Group, and... Uh, we told them that we were a different type of company. This culture, I mean, we didn't lose people. Our turnover, like I said, was less than 2%, unheard mm-hmm. of. And the if the wrong company bought us, it would destroy that culture because all of our people, there were 100 other engineering firms in Houston. All of our people could go to work the next day mm-hmm. somewhere else and, and do well. Chase wanted to keep everything secret. And just denied, 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 but it's going to be a nine month process. And we said, we've built unbelievable loyalty with our suppliers, with our clients, with our people. And we don't have a poker face. If they ask us and the word will get out, they mm-hmm. ask us, we want to tell them that we're going to go into this process. And Chase says, don't do it. Every company where it gets found out, the clients stop giving them work. Their good people start to leave and they're worth 70% of what they started out as by the time the sale happens. Mm. I said, well, we've got to do it. And I said, we're going to call it our adopt a parent program. So huh. we, were think, we were thinking we were like a teenager and we need a parent to control us because we were bouncing in a lot of directions. We were taking over the industry. It's pretty crazy. Uh-huh. So I got a hold of my minister and I told him that I'd written a pamphlet on this transition. And I asked him if he would come in and do a prayer with the management team on a Monday morning. Huh. And then I'm going to hand these pamphlets out to the 30 key managers and walk them through that we're going to do this sale. Mm-hmm. He said it was the toughest prayer he ever did. He's never been asked to come into the business world, but did a great job because it could have been the end of Mustang. As soon as we announced we're selling, it could have been the end. Mm-hmm. So we handed pamphlets out, went through with our people. We said, now you go meet with your people, take pamphlets for all of your people. And we've got thousands of people at this point mm-hmm. and tell them they're the first ones to hear about this. Nobody in the industry knows right now, but tomorrow we're going to start talking to our clients and to the suppliers, and we're going to let the cat out of the bag that we're going to sell. And this pamphlet tells you why and what we're trying to do. Well, we had 300 people 
from another engineering sale that had gone really bad. And so all of these people had migrated them mostly. So I went to that meeting because the wounds were fresh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And after talking, one of the people still said, Bill, well, what can we say outside of here when we walk out? And I said, if you think it's the best idea ever for Mustang, you can call people and tell them about it. If you think this is going to be like that sale you went through that was so horrible, take this home, read it with your spouse, talk about it, come in and ask any questions you have. We'll answer your questions. And if tomorrow morning you still think it's the worst thing, that's what you can call and tell people but we're going down this path. And the next day we put the word out to our clients, to our suppliers. I went into one room where had Exxon and mobile people in and they had just merged. Uh-huh. And one of the mobile people said, no, I wish we had had one of these for the Exxon mobile merger. Wow. <laughs> but it was amazing, David. On By Thursday, it had gone around the world and it came back to us from the Exxons, the Chevrons, from our big contractors. Mustang, this is the right thing for you to do. Please don't mess it up. You're the best company. And it was, it became a non-event by Thursday. Wow. Wow. While we were for sale, we won what they called British Petroleum BP Deepwater, four huge floating cities, biggest project in 2000 that everybody wanted. We won that project while we were for sale. While we were for sale, we were going to have to add 3,000 more people just from the jobs we won while for sale. So just a total difference, but that's what culture can do. And I like that uh, sort of saying thoughts become actions, actions become habits, habits create your destiny, those cultural habits. And that's what I'm trying to do is give these seven habits to people. Those can create the destiny that you want going forward. This is just amazing stuff. I know you've got a, a final segment. I mean, we've been talking about sales, I know, in a little bit more unusual way of selling your own company. But you also talk about something that's very ingrained in Native culture, and that is the idea of giving back. Tell us about that piece of these seven strategies as far as culture code champions. One of the things that happens in culture is if a person is concerned about their job, they're not going to put themselves into your culture. So one of my big things was sell while the shop is full, keep everybody's plate loaded, even a little bit overloaded. I called it, I had a lot of phrases. I call it job on the corner of the desk. So if you put a job on the corner of a person's desk and say, hurry up and finish what you're on so you can get to this job. Well, that's the shiny object. Everybody wants to get on the new job. Mm -hmm. What happened by doing that? We were the only company finishing projects and downturns. But that also provided job security to our people. Once they have job security, now they can put themselves wholeheartedly into your culture. Hey, I'm here for the long term. I I see that you can take care of me long term. Mm -hmm. The next thing that happens is now these people have some energy that they can use. And we've started redirecting that into giving back to the communities where our offices were. And Mm -hmm. some really neat things happen when you get out and do Uh, Like this past Christmas, people did Toys for Tots. But there's a lot of ways that you can get Habitat for Humanity, different ways to give back. And sometimes our personal assistants or our drafters would come in and say, hey, I'd like to run this thing. We had one where you're fixing a person's home up, Mm -hmm. run by one of our drafters. And what happened is when we would go out to these, so you'd have maybe 60 or 80 people with their kids working on a house 
It's sort of like a barn raising and then we're having lunch out there together and it's all different departments and disciplines. So mm-hmm. that's what I call free space where they can get together and interact. But we would also find people that had leadership qualities that we didn't know at work. And when we come back to work, some of those people started moving up the organization. So I think the giving back helps your community. It makes your people very proud of their organization. It also helps the cross communication because now they've seen people in a different environment. So they're not scared to go talk to them at work. Mm-hmm. If people aren't scared to talk. They'll bring up problems and you'll be able to solve them. So the giving back is the seventh step, but in many cases, we almost felt like it was the most important step because of what it did for the organization. Now, if you look at your own life journey, Bill, is it fair to say that you're really putting your most energy right now into giving back? Is that a fair assessment of, uh, of where you're at in life? Uh, totally. When, uh, when we moved to Charlotte from Houston, I was packing up where my wife's office was, and she had all these travel books that were dog-eared. Man, she's been reading travel books forever. I didn't know she wanted to travel. So big giving back was I better go travel with keep mama happy. Uh-huh. But then uh, helping people with culture and changing people's lives positively through mm-hmm. culture is the big give back that I'm working now. So someone says, hey, this Bill Higgs sounds like he's got a lot of great insights. They want to go to your website. First of all, again, tell us what that website is. It's culturecodechampions.com. And you can buy the book there. You can take the assessments there. You can get into my podcasts there. Uh, I've written a number of blog articles that uh, take a little piece of this and just expand on it for you. I'm trying to show you how we did it, but in such a way where you can say, oh, I know I could do that this way in my organization and get to the same point. It might be a little bit different, but you, they call it Higgsisms. You know what Higgs was trying to do with that. Okay, so basically, if I go to culturecodechampions.com, I'm going to be able to access a number of things. There's a lot of free material there. I can basically tap into uh, everything from your podcasts to your blogs. But if I want a copy of your book, I can also pick it up right there. Have I got it? Absolutely. So you plug into Higgs Brain right there. Okay, Bill, thank you so much. Appreciate what you've been doing in life, what you've brought to our radio show, and uh, the kind of resources that you're putting out there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, David. If you've been tuning in today, I hope you found Bill Higgs uh, as energizing as I did. I hope it's uh, motivated you maybe to do some things differently, maybe to share some things uh, at your next tribal council meeting or or to speak with someone in your organization about maybe how you could uh, improve your game as an organization, maybe even some things that will make a difference in your own home. No matter what it is, as we close today, I'm Dr. David DeRose, and as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.